Jesus' final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them, and many churches find it difficult to, quote, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's Word and to make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis to Revelation, biblical manhood, womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's Word, a clearer vision for making disciples, and a strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Group Answers Podcast, a weekly show designed to resource, train, and encourage small group leaders. Each episode considers current trends and resources, as well as timeless truths and methods of discipleship. It's hosted by Brian Daniel and Chris Surratt. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Group Answers Podcast. I am Brian Daniel, and for the first time in a long time, it is just the two of us, the two co-hosts with Chris Surratt, who is coming to us, at least right now, live from, is it Coopertown, Coopertown Tennessee? Coopertown, Tennessee, yeah, which nobody knows where that is, and I'm okay with that, but... uh <laughs> Well, welcome to back to another installment of the show, Chris Surratt. It's good to be back here a mere seven days later. Yes. Doing this again. Every week. But I, I appreciate your intro there. It was kind of like an ultimate fighting <laughs> intro. Yeah. Introducing. Yeah. yeah. I like that. We're, we just like to keep people guessing because yeah. that's our stick, right? They never know what direction it's going to go. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. That also means we probably don't do enough show prep. We should think through things a little bit, but that's okay. No, I said that said they don't know where it's going to go. Not we, not, not that us. We, we we know exactly. We know exactly where it's we going. Always to go. know where it's going. Yeah. Where are you settled in the spring? Everything good? Yeah. You got everybody graduated. You got everybody home or wherever they're supposed to be. You got vacation scheduled or yeah. What's your What's your scenario? Yeah, got everybody graduated. We had two graduates this year, high school and college, and they are uh, both home for now. Uh, our youngest is going off to college in the fall. She's going to Wisconsin um, to Carroll University. Very excited about Way that. Way up there. Way up there in Milwaukee. Suburb. That's not drivable, right? Um, so you'll have to fly. Yeah, well, we're going to drive the first time because we'll have to take her stuff. But after that, we'll fly. Yeah, we'll fly back and forth. But yeah, got um, the girls are actually doing a separate graduate vacation. They're going to Disney to celebrate their graduation. So I'm excited for them oh, to do that, do a road trip down there. And then my wife and I, we're actually going to do one when nobody else or the families aren't traveling. We're waiting until the fall to do our, our vacation. Which... 
in the adult world, as we know, gets here before you know it. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So yeah, we're, well, we're kind of, um, you guys are there, but we're kind of eyeing that empty nest lifestyle right now. I know you guys have, have lived it for a little while. Yeah. We do what we want to do. Yeah. Do what we want to do. When you want to do our it. motto. Exactly. When we want to do it. Well, we are, we're picking up on a theme that's been just a big part of the conversation, not only on the group answer show, but in the uh, small group universe at the, at the more macro level, which I don't know how much more macro you get to than universe. And that's, but with, that's where uh, we play the best is in the universe. <laughs> so with the CDC lifting its restrictions and a lot of the businesses following suits of court, following suit, uh, of course, the churches are making decisions commensurate with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And we're pulling away from the pandemic era and the age of the mask is increasingly behind us. We wanted to uh, just talk about the four keys to regathering in small groups. And Chris, given where we are and, and really with what we just said, we're in June now or in the summer, but we all know that the fall is upon us. And now is a time when you at least need to be thinking about that. Yep. So we thought this would be a good time to just get into, even at the, at, at an entry level, the, some keys to regathering in small groups. But first, um, it's probably it's probably wise to begin with a bit of the bad news. Yeah, I've got I've got some bad news and I've got some actually really good news from this all this is from research. And then, and then moderate some news. concerning news, I should say. Concerning. And when somebody tells you they've got bad news and good news, which do you usually like to hear first? <laughs> it just depends on the day. Yeah. It's not a consistent answer, which would surprise no one. Well, most of the time, I think I like to hear the good news first. But this time, I want to give the bad news so we can get into the good news. But the bad news for uh, churches, and and this is not a surprise, I think, to anyone who is leading a church, working at a church, or even attending a church, but the uh, in-person attendance average is is down uh, from... It definitely from a couple of years ago, and it's about 28% according to some data that I've looked at recently. So most churches are, are down in attendance overall, and that's not a surprise. Obviously, people are just now, you know, a lot of people thinking about coming back in certain parts of the country. They're actually just now allowed to come back, but that's a pretty big drop. I mean, if you were to say, let's take the pandemic out of the equation in 2019, we told on the Group Answer Show podcast, syndicated, um, universal, uh, whatever we are, we said all churches are going to be down about 28% a year from now. That would have been freak out. I mean, it just it would have been, people would have freaked out, but it's kind of understandable right now. So I think we also have to keep in mind here that this is not the best time of year to be talking about coming back to church. This is the time of year when vacations start, people are out, they're visiting family, and right, attendance is going to dip June through July anyway. Normal year, yep. So I think we're all looking at the fall, really, Mm -hmm. to have this more um, relevant, more substantial conversation about the current state of things. So how about the good news? Good news. And this is really good news. This is um, from some recent uh, LifeWay research. They they researched a bunch of people, and they found that 91% of churchgoers are planning on returning to their pre-pandemic attendance levels when COVID-19 is no longer an active threat to people's health. So 91% 
of the people that disappeared off the radar at churches are actually planning to come back. And I think that's a really good statistic. I mean, I've heard a lot of pastors worry about, you know, we're people disappeared. Are they coming back? We don't know. We don't know if they're coming back. Well, according to this sample size, which I think is pro- probably pretty, pretty good. 91% of them said, yes, we're coming back. But uh, Brian, I think you say, you said an important thing that it may not be June, July, or even August. But once kind of things settle down and vacations are over and they've traveled where they need to travel, they're, they're coming back. They're coming back. So it could be a lot worse, 91%. Um, I don't know what I would have expected here. And this does not take into account a, a slower, more progressive comeback. So we'll just see how that rolls. But I think on the downside of this, I mean, we're looking at nine out of 10 people in, um, in a church going mentality that was already in decline. So. Yeah. Uh, regardless, COVID is having and will continue to have an effect in the near term. And I think it's going to take just intention and staying on top of things and maybe even some creativity to get things going, which brings us to the topic of the show. But, but before we get to that, what about the concerning news, concerning news for church yes. leaders in the research? Yes, And again, this is not sh- shocking at all, but uh, in the research, it shows that uh, people in general, their discipleship habits have have changed. Um, where uh, prior to the pandemic, around three in five of U.S. churchgoers said they participate in a church small group. A year later, um, that was it was fewer. About a third, thirty-three percent, said that they were participants in in uh, January twenty twenty-one, and four percent said they served as a leader. Now, this is not shocking. You know, a lot of churches had to stop small groups or small groups just kind of naturally stopped or Sunday school classes for sure stopped if, if they weren't having Sunday morning services. But what's concerning is that's been a habit now for a lot of people for over a year. And once you start doing things, I think they say to get a good habit going, if you do it, what, uh, 90 days, you can settle into a new rhythm, a new a diet, new uh, fitness schedule, all of that. If you'll just do it for 90 days, it becomes more of a, a regular habit. Well, I can see that happening with discipleship and, and groups. You know, people are out of the habit of going to a group, meeting with people for Bible study. And so it's something that we uh, we should pay attention to and why I think it's important that we focus going into the fall. How do we get people back into that that spiritual habit of meeting together and being in groups. So let's just research can be wrong. Um, never, we don't know. Never we been. we have not emerged at least this generation. None of us have emerged from a pandemic before. But it would stand to reason that this is the playing field. Is there so no one alive a, that like was born in 1921? I'm just curious. It's a good question. If you do the quick math, it's a hundred years. Yeah. So there may be like a handful, but they don't remember it, I'm sure. They wouldn't remember okay. it. Yeah. They would not have any relatable experience, I would okay. guess. Okay. I was just, yeah, that was going nowhere. But <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's the playing field. Attendance is down. Yep. There's reason to hope that that will change, that with nine out of 10 people, show up that, at church. that 28% re- represents, will do plan on coming back at some point. But- uh, at least in terms of habits and the normal rhythms of life, there has been an unfavorable consequence to what we're talking about. Yep. So uh, that being said, we're going to look at 
these keys to regathering in groups. Yes. Four in groups, four keys to kind of jump starting your, uh, your group's ministry in the fall or kind of re jump starting, re kicking in regathering of, of your groups. And the first one is, uh, is, is an all church campaign. And I know we've talked a lot on, on the podcast about, the uh, benefits of a campaign, but one of the, the biggest benefits for me is just it puts some excitement around being in a group. It puts some uh, natural PR for your groups. In a campaign is where the church basically studies the same thing for a period of weeks, normally about six weeks, six to eight weeks. It's the same message or the, the message from Sunday is what the groups talk about during the week. And some churches even do students, kids all the way down. And it just kind of brings the whole church together. And I don't know a better time than this fall to kind of align everybody on this, get them on the same page, get, get groups to the forefront and just plan a campaign. It doesn't have to be extravagant or we shoot um, videos every week for groups to watch, but if at least we'll put some thought into how can we build out some studies based on the messages that we're going to talk about or we're going to uh, use in the fall, then we can get some excitement around groups and get people to want to be in groups this fall. Yeah, and I would encourage everyone to check out smallgroup.com yep. uh, if you don't already have a plan for how to do that. But really what we're, I mean, like Chris said, talking about and, re- and referencing campaigns is not something new, but this might be, and it sounds like Chris, you're saying would be a way to accelerate that return to the church, that this 91% that's planning to come back, building a lot of energy around the campaign would be a way that it, I think it would be a potential accelerant yep. of that yep. over the course of time. Yep. So that's, that's one. And then number two kind of follows behind that, but intentionally recruit and train new leaders and in starting now. And I think we will all agree that, um, we may not have all the same leaders that are going to be leading in the fall that led a year and a half ago, or even six months ago. And it's going to take new leaders to really pull off a campaign. So this is the time to start kind of putting the, the fishing, the fishing lures out there and see who might be open to leading a group in the fall and kind of being a part of that campaign. It's also a good time to re-examine your leader training. Uh, you know, if you haven't looked at it in a, in a couple of years, we're obviously in a different culture, different atmosphere now than we were in 2019. Uh, people are going to need different sets of tools uh, as they regather and, you know, maybe they have to do some hybrid stuff or it's online in person, or they just have people that are coming in with some major baggage and, and scars from, uh, being in isolation over the last year and a half. So reexamining the group, the leadership training, and then do some recruiting, get some new leaders and, uh, kick that, kick that campaign off in a big way in the fall. Yeah. And training new leaders, as we all know, is a way that just to give confidence to, to new leaders, but it's also, uh, in my experience, it makes it official. That gathering and getting those leaders together just gives an official stamp on the beginning of this new era to your ministry. Yep. All right, Chris, how about yes. a third key? I have a third key, Brian, and here it comes. Uh, give people hold options. Hold on, hold on. What? We want, uh, in literature, they call it a sisura, mm. and that is a pause for effect. So, 
There it was. And number three. Right, so go on. It's good. Give people options for where and how they gather. Uh, you know, we, we have seen some new ways of doing groups over the last year and a half. And one of my fears, Brian, is that we, that we just go back to what we always did, that we um, drop the new methods or things that we've experimented with and had some success with, or didn't really flesh all the way out. And, and, and one of those is, is online groups. I'm afraid that as a whole, we're just going to drop the idea of people being able to at least experiment with groups online. You know, I've seen churches that have done a, an amazing job of taking this idea of online groups and reaching outside of the community that they normally reach. Uh, one of the churches, Harvest in uh, Riverside, California, they started online groups in a big way with with COVID. And now they have hundreds of groups that meet not only around the country, but internationally um, that meet together that didn't exist two years ago. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a, a group's point person or a church leader, it doesn't mean that you have to have a ton of online groups, but at least have a few that are maybe a bridge group to being in, in an in-person group, or maybe they're reaching people that wouldn't normally go to just an in-person group, and that's okay. And it's not hard to do. We all know how to do Zoom now. It's really not difficult. So I just want to encourage you, just think outside of the box when it comes to where your groups gather, how they gather, and let's not just go back to what we always did because it worked in 2019. So I know we're pushed for time just a little bit, but I did want to ask you about the temptation to return to the way that we always did things. Do you see that as being a really strong gravitational pull, even given what we just went through? I do. Or do you yeah. detect more of an openness? It sounds like you it sounds like you do. I was going to say, or do you detect more of an openness, a spirit of openness to new ways of doing well, things? I mean, I hear both. Um, I hear both, but I, I hear a lot of, I can't wait till it gets back to normal. And I know we, we've talked a lot about what is normal, new normal, all of these things. But I think when we say normal, a lot of times we want to get back to what was comfortable. And for ministries, comfortable was gathering in, you know, uh, buildings all together on a Sunday. Uh, if you have groups doing the groups uh uh, together, all of this, you know, that that's what we were comfortable with. And we now have these new tools to reach people that we've never reached before. And I'm just afraid of us falling back onto what was comfortable and missing out on what, what God has brought us, you know, through a horrible time, but God has, has given us new ways to reach people. And I'm hoping that a lot of churches and a lot of ministries will, uh, will hang on to those and let's, let's continue refining. Let's continue being creative and, uh, reach people in a new, new different way. So this fourth, uh, key to regathering in small groups, I think is crucial. So again, we just had our pause for effect. <laughs> Number four, key to, uh, key to regathering in small groups. Yeah, I don't think any of this is gonna gonna go that well unless it's taught from the pulpit, the teaching the why. And yep. uh, Simon Sinek kind of made it 
uh, ubiquitous, but that why before the what. We really need to understand why we need to gather together in these gospel communities. Why should we do that? Especially coming out of a pandemic where we have been overloaded with don't gather together. You know, just we need to stay socially distant and away for, for good reasons, for good health reasons. But now that things are changing and the vaccine has taken off and all of that, we need to retrain our people on why they need that, why they need biblical community, why they can't walk through life alone. And so you really need to do that from the pulpit. So if you, if you want people to get into groups, if you want them to experience biblical community, if you want this campaign to take off, then I honestly would start probably, you know, like August and do, do at least one message on the importance of community, why we gather and even better do a series do a whole series on on the importance of community and small groups. And if you don't have the material, just email me, contact me. I'll give you everything you need for a whole series on why you should do groups. Do you know very many pastors that are not in a group? Yes. I hear from time to time that that is not uncommon. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is common. Um, and, and I get it in a lot of circumstances uh, because – you know, some pastors have been hurt in small groups. I mean, there's already a lot of, a lot of things that come their way as being, you know, being the leader and the point leader. And then if you're in a group with, with church members and they have an issue and it just, it can be hard. And so I, I, you know, I, I still think that pastors should be in groups, but maybe it's not necessarily a group of your church members. Maybe it's a group of, pastor peers or, you know, people outside of, of that circle. But yeah, I, I hear it too often that pastors are going at it alone and that's, that's dangerous. I ask because there's a, there's more than one way to uh, teach the why from the pulpit that Chris has just articulated. And one of those ways is for the pastor to talk about his experience in groups yep. and his group uh, as a part of his just normal anecdotal the anecdotal aspect of any given Sunday morning or really any time you're in front of people and make that a part of the vernacular, make it a part of the DNA of who the pastor is, who you are in addition to that. I don't know how many pastors are actually listening to the show, but I think that's really important. And then, and then like Chris says, the sermon is one way, but also just pointing out the emphasis. And by pulpit here, Chris, I assume you mean that some time could be given to the minister of education or the small groups pastor to espouse the merit of groups and what's going on. So really the importance is just that that it becomes a part of the regular rhythm, the announcements, what's going on, just generate that excitement. Yep. I mean, if nothing else, give it some time from the stage during announcements on a Sunday, you can kind of scale it to, okay, probably the least that you can do is at least have some kind of announcement the next best would be maybe have the the group's pastor or the minister of education do it from the stage. And then the best is if the pastor can talk about his personal small group. All of those work, um, but just do something from the stage. Well, a lot of the information here well, you can find in a post at our blog, lifeway.com slash Group leadership. So you might want to check it. I think it's actually adult ministry dot lifeway dot com now. 
So there's two ways. There's two ways. There's two ways of getting it. Well, there's more than one way. Let's just put it that way. Well, one way is to skin a cat. If somebody <laughs> said that the other day, and we paused as a family in our family and said, what a horrible thing to say. It really is. Where did that come from? And I from? wonder if it's even true. I mean. I don't know, but it, it sounds like something that would come from Kentucky. Mm, I don't think we're much into cat skinning up there. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> That's a really good question, though. Where, who was in the cat skinning Somebody at some was. time? Enough to make that vernacular. What an awful thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's several things like that. Like, you'll hear people say, isn't that ironic? And our family will stop and go, is it? Is that what we mean by irony? I just start singing you know, it's a, Alanis Morissette when somebody <laughs> says that. That's the first well, I was going to wrap it up for this installment of the Group Answers Show. Thank you for being with us. We always ask that you take time to stop by wherever you listen and give us a rating and uh, comment. Love to hear that. And if you can find it in your heart to subscribe to us, that way you don't have to go looking for it. Anyway, anywhere you, you listen to podcasts, you will find this right in your inbox. You can listen to it. It's ready-made, Chris. Yep. Ready-made. Always. That's going to do it for this show. Thanks for being with us, and we'll catch you again on down the road. 